0: We turn tonight to Psalm 97 for our study of God's Word this evening. We'll be reading the 12 verses of this chapter. Psalm 97, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints, he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to His holy name. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, as we continue our study of the Psalms together, uh, tonight we come to another particular type of psalm, a psalm which I have uh, entitled our sermon message, a messianic psalm. Now, children, in that word messianic, uh, perhaps you can see the word, part of the word, messiah. The messiah. And you know who the messiah was. The messiah was Jesus. Messiah means anointed. The psalm, a messianic psalm, is about Jesus Christ. So tonight, we look at a messianic psalm. A psalm that talks about Jesus. And I hope even as I say that, it troubles you just a little bit. Because haven't we seen that all the psalms talk about Jesus? Haven't we seen they all point forward to him? And so, when we talk about a messianic psalm, we actually do use that word in two different ways. We use it in a broad way, which is to say, every psalm points us to Christ. We also use it in a more narrow way, and that's the way I'm going to use it tonight. A messianic psalm, which focuses on the kingship of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is God's, anointed king. Tonight, in some ways, I guess I'm probably combining uh, two different types of kingship psalms. There are the kingship psalms in the Psalter that speak about the king of Israel, God's blessing upon the king of Israel. Psalm 2, Psalm 45, Psalm 72, Psalm 110, some of those listed there on the back of the bulletin, that, that, that praise God the king of Israel for who he is and for what he does. There are also another type of kingship psalms. Uh, When I was in seminary, my professor referred to these psalms as the Yahweh Malach psalms, which is Hebrew for God reigns. Focusing not on the human king of Israel, but God as king of Israel. These would be uh, the other psalms listed there in the psalms we've looked at tonight. A number of the psalms we've sung tonight highlight the fact that God reigns. So we're we're somewhat combining both of these, the ones that speak of the king of Israel and the one that speaks of God as king, because we know, ultimately, they do point to the same reality. They point to Jesus Christ, God's anointed king. That's our messianic psalm for tonight. The king comes, and he is glorious in his appearing. Look at verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Verse 3, fire goes before him. Verse 4, his lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The king is glorious in his appearance. Clouds and fire and lightning. And this language does not surprise us. Because we see that has always accompanied God in his revelation of himself to his people. Already back in creation, we read in creation that there there was darkness over the face of the deep, and what happens? God says, let there be light. And he drives out the darkness by bringing light. God brings order. God brings structure. God brings cosmos to a chaos. Light accompanies the coming of God. We saw that, children, when God leads His people out of captivity, how does He lead them? With a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. This was God's presence. Cloud and fire, the presence of God leading His people. We see that that in the tabernacle, when the tabernacle is completed, the glory of God descends upon the tabernacle, and the cloud is there, and it is glorious and majestic. We see this in the prophet Isaiah. When he gets that picture of the throne room of God, what does the text say? The smoke fills the room. The glory of God is so majestic. He reveals himself as cloud, as fire, as lightning, the glorious God revealed in the Old Testament. What about in the coming of Jesus Christ, this New Testament king? Think about the announcement of his birth. The angels came to shepherds. And the angel appeared to the shepherds, and what? And the glory of the Lord shone around them. In the announcement of the birth of the coming king, we have this majestic glory once again present. And then a great company of the heavenly hosts appear, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Jesus' birth, accompanied with fire, with lightning, with glory, with majesty, How were the the wise men guided to the child Jesus? By a star, by light. Light accompanies the coming king. Jesus is called the light of the world. We read about some of the miracles that he did, he would bring light to blind eyes, giving sight to the blind. We read in John chapter 9, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, that this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The coming of the king accompanied by light and bringing light to blind eyes. Jesus Christ that New Testament king who comes with glory, with light, that revelation of who God is. Beyond that, that, that physical light, we have these words in verse 6. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. This king is glorious in appearance because he is righteous. He is just in his judgments. Again, think about Israel in the Old Testament. When God dealt with Israel to bring them out of captivity, God's just judgment upon their captors, God's just judgment upon Egypt, but leading his people out by fire, by light, God's justice manifest as the king appears. We think of God's patience with his people Israel. But finally, they too will come under His just judgment. If they continue to reject Him, they too will be sent off into captivity. But God keeps His remnant, His justice, His righteousness manifested in His appearing. Jesus comes in the New Testament. He comes and He teaches with authority. John 1 says He comes full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. God's righteousness, God's justice, God's truth, God's mercy revealed in him. Verse 2 Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. This is the king, the king who comes and is revealed to his people. Well, kids, where is his kingdom? Where does God, where does Jesus rule? verse 8 Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice Zion Zion God's particular people where God would have his name dwell Zion a picture of the church where does God rule where is his kingdom it is in the church God rules here. Zion hears and is glad. The daughter of Judah rejoice. We rejoice this evening, because we gather as a part of that great and glorious kingdom God's church. But the church is not the extent, the full extent of the kingdom. Look at verse one. The Lord reigns. Let the earth Rejoice Let the many coastlands be glad verse 9 for you O Lord are most high over all the earth You are exalted far above all gods. He reigns over all the earth. His kingdom is a worldwide kingdom His kingdom is beyond the walls of the church Someone asked me the other day, what's the relationship between the church and the kingdom? Well, the church is certainly a part of the kingdom of God, but it is not the extent of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ rules over all. Yes, he does rule here. He rules over us as we gather together for worship. He rules over us as we do our churchly activities. But this is not the extent of his kingdom. Jesus Christ rules over all. Paul speaks about that in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, We read about the glories of Jesus Christ, and we read this in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet under his feet and gave him as head over all things jesus christ rules over all he rules over everything he rules over every part of our life and that was always God's intention that the kingdom would not be limited or circumscribed very narrowly already back in the Garden of Eden we have the man and the woman in fellowship with each other and with God that's a very simple definition of church people in fellowship with each other and with God And yet God doesn't say to Adam and Eve, well, therefore, now I want you to build a wall around this garden and keep everything else out. No, He will say to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Press the claims of Christ's kingship everywhere that you go. This is is the nature of that that extensive realm of the king. And because he is king over every part of our life, it gives significance to every part of our life. Our our time spent in the kingdom of God is not just an hour on Sunday morning and an hour on Sunday evening. But our entire lives are lived before God's face in His kingdom. And His kingship, then, must affect every part of our life. It affects our home life. At home, as we seek to honor the kingship of Jesus Christ in our marriages as we seek to honor his commands for us in our marriages, as husbands and as wives, because he is king there as well. We seek to honor him in the training of our children, because he is king over our families. We seek to honor him in the education of our children. In our history, we have a a strong... um, Support of God-centered schooling. We manifest that in many ways in, in Christian day schools. Because we recognize that that is part of God's kingdom as well. We recognize that the education of our children is not a neutral matter. But they will be taught either from the perspective of Christ and His kingship or the fact that they are kings and can do what they want. They will be taught in light of God's holy word how to engage in society properly or how to use society for their own advantage. We have a strong history of of God-centered schooling because of Christ's kingship. That's a part of his kingdom. Our work is significant because Christ is king there as well. Not just my work as minister of the gospel, not just the elders' work as office bearers in the church, all of our work is significant because Christ is king over all. And so when we go to our work, we don't say, well, you know, um, you go to work tomorrow morning. We don't say, you know, yesterday, that was a real sacred part of my life, but now I'm in the secular part of my life, and I can kind of do what I want. No, all of it is living under Christ's kingship. His reign, the the extent of his reign, including the vocation that God has called us to, the expanse of his kingship. Again, from verse 9 For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. And this glorious king rules in righteousness, he rules for the blessing, for the benefit of his people. We read in verse 10, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. Because he is king over every part of our life, he cares for us in every part of our life. Christ doesn't just care for us in our religious life, in what we do tonight, but he will care for us tomorrow in our daily, regular activities, at school, at home, at work, wherever God places us. He'll preserve us. He'll provide for us. He'll care for us because He's king over everything. We read in the last half of verse 10, He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Our king is a powerful king. He is a righteous king. He is a delivering king. One who has delivered us From the hand of the wicked not just those around us but ultimately from the power of Satan himself Jesus Christ the King exercised his kingship in that he was willing to submit to the will of the Father come to earth live a life die on a cross and be raised once again and ascended into heaven that is his ascension back to his royal throne he rules and reigns as king. He has delivered us from the power of sin. He's delivered us from the guilt of sin. And he continues to do so for all who put their faith, their hope, their trust in him. Tonight, King Jesus calls to you. Recognize who you are, fallen, sinful. Recognize his kingship and put your faith in him, the righteous king, the ruler over every part of our lives. The psalmist says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. When we recognize the kingship of Jesus Christ, that he is our deliverer, that he is the one who preserves us, we now want to live in a way that brings glory to the king, that brings honor to the king that lives according to the king's statutes. You who love the Lord hate evil. Don't return to those old sinful ways, but because Jesus reigns over every part of your life, commit every part of your life to him. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you in every part of your life to bring glory and honor and praise to this wonderful, glorious king. The psalmist concludes, Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Give thanks to his holy name. Knowing King Jesus, knowing this Messiah, this anointed one, this chosen one, we can have joy. We can rejoice. Not only tonight as we gather to sing our songs, as we gather to bring God praise, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and in every part of our life. We live with the joy of knowing we have a righteous king, a just king, a loving king, a king who would give up his life for us, a king who continues to watch and preserve and protect. The Messianic Psalms point us to Jesus Christ, particular, particularly to his work as ruler, righteous ruler, not only over our time in church, righteous ruler over all of creation and in that we are called as citizens of that kingdom to take joy and to rejoice for our Lord is king. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we praise your holy name. We praise you for your revelation of yourself in the Psalter. That throughout the Psalm we see the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us but in some particular psalms you highlight his kingship that he is king and Lord over all Lord God may we rejoice in that may we take joy in that to know that every part of our life is lived under the care the preservation the deliverance of King Jesus Christ help us oh God to bring glory to him, to bring praise to him. Help us who love him to hate evil and to live in a way that honors the King who has died for us, the King who continues to watch over us, the King whom we serve. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn together in the Psalter hymnal to number 368. Number 368, Rejoice! The Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore. Rejoice! Give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice! Again I say rejoice. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and heaven. We're going to sing all four verses. Number 368. Let's stand together as we sing. receive the parting blessing of our God the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all amen